Hey, hey there, my listening friend. Welcome to episode 148 here on the Yours Truly podcast. My name is Claire Tuning. I am your host, of course. I am a non-diet registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor, and I am so grateful that you're joining me for today's episode. I have a very special guest interview that I am excited to share with you here in a couple of moments. I am speaking with Barb Puzanova. You may know her as the non-diet trainer on Instagram. And yes, I did send her a DM specifically asking her to send a voice recording of her correctly pronouncing her last name (laughs) so I could be sure I did not do it a disservice and I think I made it through okay. But more on Barb and what we talk about here in a couple of moments. But before we get there, I have to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by my online intuitive eating discovery course. If you have ever wondered how to get started with intuitive eating, how to break up with some of your dieting tools like the scale and food tracking devices, and how to start reconnecting to your body's cues around food, how to turn down the volume on that food policing voice, and more, then I designed this course specifically with you in mind. The course contains a variety of resources that will help you learn how to take those first steps towards having a more confident and free relationship with food. It includes eight guided coaching lessons and each lesson is filled with real life tools that you can take and apply to your life as soon as you listen to them. There are also downloadable PDF worksheets following each coaching modules that contain key takeaways and journal prompts and activities to help you set realistic goals and take action on what you learn in each module. You will also get lifelong access to a private Facebook community just for course participants where you can ask questions, gather support, and tune into monthly Q&A sessions led by yours truly. And of course, there's a ton of group support in there from myself and others. And you'll also get some awesome bonus content. We have a mindful eating module complete with a guided eating experience. There's a 45 minute body image Q&A with licensed professional counselor and body image coach, Brianna Campos. You may know her as body image with Brie on the gram. And there's also an additional resources guide. There is some motivational wallpapers for your phone background. There's lots of other fun stuff that is also included. So if you wanna learn more about the course and how you can claim your spot today, you can visit clairetuning.com course. Again, that's clairetuning.com slash course. And as a thank you, as always, for being a listener of the podcast, I have a gift for you. That is a 10% off uh, discount on your enrollment. So you can enter the code podcast, all one word, all uppercase at checkout for 10% off of your enrollment investment. One more time, clairetuning.com slash course and enter the code podcast at checkout for 10% off of your intuitive eating discovery course. And I hope to see you on the participant list very soon. Okay, sorry if uh, there was some 
background noise as I was sharing what I just shared about the course when I was mid mid read or mid speak there the AC unit in my office kicked on and I didn't feel like stopping in the middle of my train of thought but I have since paused and I have turned that off so hopefully there's no white noise in the background but Anyways, before we hop into our conversation with Barb, we have one more thing that we have to do that is part of the intro of every episode here on the podcast, and that is share the weekly Yours Truly Goal Slayer featured post of the week. If you are new to the podcast, this is a free private Facebook community that is open for anyone and everyone to join who is interested in learning more about intuitive eating and having a group of 900 plus like-minded individuals to talk with and receive group support from. It's different from the community that I just mentioned when I was talking about the course. That one is specifically for course participants, but this one again is open for anyone to join. So this is a post from a community member who I have seen in our community for maybe at least a year at this point, her name is very familiar to me, but I'm gonna read the post and then instead of offering my own thoughts or feedback, there was actually another community member who came in and commented a really lovely response. So I'm gonna read that as well and kind of give you an idea of some of the things we talk about in this community and some of the amazing individuals who jump at any opportunity to support a virtual friend here. So the post reads, in search of moral support. I just moved out of my ex's house and there's a lot to unpack, physically, mentally, and emotionally. A lot of my clothes don't fit anymore and while some I can thank for their journey, others I can't let go of, hoping that my smaller body days will return so I can wear them again since the days of being treated for dinner are gone, at least for now. The community member who I was referencing who posted a really wonderful comment, her comment reads like this. Hey there, I went through this similar thing almost a year ago and I can confirm it's insanely hard. Try to remember to A, be really patient with yourself right now because you're going through a ton of change. And B, if you can't find it in yourself to throw away those clothes just yet, it's okay to keep them in a box for a day when you might feel a little better and more in the right headspace to get rid of them. You have a lot of emotions and feelings building up in you right now and about a million different things, I'm sure. Take things one step at a time if you can. If you ever need a chat and feel comfortable, I'm happy to be a shoulder. So if me reading that comment doesn't give you insight into how supportive everyone in this community is, I don't know what will. And if you have ever gone through something similar, if you're going through something similar, or maybe you just want to support people going through this, or you want to ask questions about intuitive eating, or just be surrounded virtually by people who have some of the same thoughts, opinions, and maybe questions as you as well, I would love to invite you to join us in our little 
corner of the internet if you're not already there. So the best way that you can do this is by visiting my website. It's clairetuning.com community. And on that page, there will be a brief application that you will need to fill out and submit. So my team and I can look over it and you can also learn a little bit about our community and our guidelines. And once we get a chance to look over the application, we will accept you to come and hang out with us. Hope to see you there very soon. But without further ado, let's talk about this conversation with Barb. And first, let's talk a little bit more about her. I'm going to read a little bit from the bio on Barb's website, which is the nondiettrainer.com, to share a little bit more about who she is before we officially hand over the conversation. So Barb is a first-generation Czech American, born in Texas and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. She is also an Enneagram 1 Wing 2, which will be helpful for you as the listener to know as we get a little bit later into our conversation. She is also a Cancer, aka there's a planner in there somewhere, and lots of feelings. Her favorite forms of joyful movement include dancing, stretching, rolling around on the floor, <laughs> lol same, walking outside, weightlifting, trail running, swimming, floating, canoeing, and kayaking. Her education background, let's see, we have a little timeline here. In 2017, she became an ACE certified personal trainer. In 2015, she became a certified group fitness instructor, a certified behavior change specialist in 2019, and much like myself, she is also a certified intuitive eating counselor. She went to Vanderbilt University and she has a BA in medicine, health, and society, and she graduated in 2017. So throughout our conversation today, Barb and I talk about what makes movement from the non-diet perspective different from movement that's connected to dieting. And she also busts some really common fitness myths for us. And I'm very excited about this, but we also dive into a conversation about the different Enneagram types and how knowing your Enneagram type or number can help you tailor your approach to movement to best suit your needs. Uh, This is something that Barb does with all of her clients who she works with in their relationship with movement. And she is actually the first person who I've come across that does this. And I was so intrigued by this idea. And it's part of the reason why I reached out to her to come on to the show because I wanted her to talk about this specifically. Uh, A little bit more about Enneagrams here, because if you're unfamiliar with this concept, uh, it might be helpful for you to know just kind of the basics before Barb and I start talking about it towards the middle slash end of this conversation. So if you're new to this concept of the Enneagram or you've never heard of it before, I'm going to read a definition here that I found from a really helpful website. The website is called truity.com, T-R-U- ity.com and the definition reads it is a system of personality typing that describes patterns and how people interpret the world and manage their emotions the enneagram describes nine personality types and maps each of these types in a nine pointed diagram which helps to illustrate how the types relate to one another 
Again, that definition was taken from truity.com. After I found this definition in prepping for this intro, I spent, I was going to say a little bit of time, but I definitely got sucked into like the black hole of that is the internet. But I spent a lot of time on this website reading more about the Enneagram. I actually found a little sidebar on the website that will link you to a page for each Enneagram type, kind of breaking down what this means, the biggest fears of that Enneagram type, what that type is motivated by, how to deal with that type if you're in relationship with them or how to best support them. Maybe that's a a better way to phrase that. But uh, if you're interested in learning A, what type you are, you can take the Enneagram test on this website, again, truity.com, and you can also read in-depth breakdowns on each type. I share this in conversation with Barb, but I personally am an Enneagram type three, wing two. I'm a very strong type three, which is the achiever. And as I was reading the breakdown on this website that I keep referencing of Enneagram type three, you know, I've never felt more seen, but also attacked by a website. I was like, how do they know me? Do they have cameras in my house? So, you know, you may or may not resonate with the results of the tests that you get, but I very much identify with mine and maybe you will as well. So without further ado, let's go talk to Barb about non-diet movement, her work as a non-diet health at every size, aligned certified personal trainer, and how to incorporate the Enneagram into your relationship with movement. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Barb. Welcome to the Yours Chili podcast. Happy Thursday morning. Hey, how's it going, Claire? I'm stoked to be here and see where today takes us. Of course, I uh, I actually can't tell you the last time I got to connect with someone in this. You're in the central time zone? Yes. yes. Central. <laughs> I, I find myself often connecting with people either on East coast or West coast, but not in the middle. So glad to have yeah. someone from a, a different space and time zone today, but I'm, um, I'm your Southern gal for sure. <laughs> Southern gal. I was actually, um, I was with someone yesterday cause I'm from the Southern part of Virginia. And I asked them, do you feel that I have any Southern in my voice? And they're like, no, not really. I don't know. I kind of call Virginia the North of the South. I think they're in, in Nashville. You're maybe a little bit more likely for those around you to have a Southern twang. Do you feel that you have that? I know probably, uh, I don't know what accent I have. My family's Czech. And so I grew up speaking Czech pretty fluently. It's, uh, kind of gone off the deep end lately, but uh, then after that, I think I became more fluent in English over time. I grew up in Texas and then I moved here in 2002. Um, so yeah, Nashville has been my home for a while. So I don't know how much Southern I've got in me other than I can chug a whole bunch of barbecue sauce and I like <laughs> y'all. So that will definitely come up. So it's rubbed off on you at least somewhat, maybe not in your voice, but in your food preferences for sure. Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, maybe that can actually take us into some, some of this or that. This is not a question that I had planned for you, but since you brought up the topic of barbecue sauce, I must know, do you prefer the like sweeter, more ketchup based barbecue sauce or the vinegary barbecue sauce? Vinegary. I just noticed I'm like a vinegary gal for uh-huh. any- sort of thing, um, any sort of like pickled, whatever I'm all here for. Yeah. Isn't a, isn't the vinegar based barbecue sauce. Isn't that North Carolina style barbecue? 
I have no idea. I should know this because I watch a lot of food stuff around barbecue. <laughs> I think it's so fascinating and so awesome. And again, that it like comes from a lot of BIPOC cultures that are just like, oh yeah, like this is American, but also this is like from so many different cultures, especially black culture, but like has come in and like given us flavor, like thank God for that. Absolutely. Thank God for flavor being brought into our food for sure. Uh, If anyone who is listening is an expert in all things barbecue or can uh, educate Barb and I on, is that North Carolina style? What is that? You know, we are, we are open to your feedback for sure. (laughs) Um, Next, this or that question that I have for you went a little off the cuff with that one, but do you prefer hot weather or cold weather? Oh, right now in this moment, I could take some cold, but overall, I'm going to say hot. I'm going to say hot because I can, again, food wise, I can have some sweet tea. I can have super refreshing drinks and fruit and all that jazz. I love it. I find it so interesting that we always want, at least to a certain extent, what it's not right. If I were to ask you that in the dead of winter, you'd be like, hot weather for sure. But if I asked you in the dead of summer, you're like, I'm craving some cooler temperatures. Yes. <laughs> I'm with you there. Uh, reality TV or fictional TV slash dramas? I'd say fictional TV slash dramas. Also going to add documentaries on there. I'm definitely more on the serious side. <laughs> okay. I guess you could, not that, would that fall under the reality TV category? I mean, I know <laughs> it it's, it's different in a lot of ways, but it's real. It, depending on the TV for sure yeah. <laughs> real depending on the documentary and the research they present right well oh good point yeah uh next one sweet or savory 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 these days I'm with you there I don't get me wrong I like mm-hmm. sweets and I do have sweet tooths for sure sweet sweet teeth no that's not that's not a thing but uh if I had to pick one I would go savory with you all the way uh relaxing at home or going on an adventure relaxing at home for sure I mean that's that's been true even pre-pandemic <laughs> yeah I am very much a homebody myself so I'm with you and last one this brings us to social media which is actually how you and I know of each other and how we connected but if you could only have one would you pick Instagram or TikTok I would say Instagram mostly because it's just like absorbing any other it's like a little monster isn't it it just absorbs Snapchat and TikTok now with reels it's just like hey we're just gonna (laughs) grab onto these things so I have to go with Instagram um (laughs) it is long lasting with the way that it just takes on other apps, isn't it? You bring up a really great point. It is very sponge-like and just absorbing any idea that is not their own. And then they just incorporate it into their now it's Instagram, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Stories were not a thing until what Snapchat came along and they're like, oh, we like that. We're going to take that for sure. Yeah. And I remember when that first happened, at least I can, I can only speak for myself, but I was so confused. I was like, how dare they steal this idea? Like no one's going to use this on Instagram. I know. I couldn't tell you the last time I used a Snapchat story and like Instagram stories are the default. I don't think that's happening as much with the reels because TikTok is so much bigger in my mind than Snapchat ever was, but it is a good catch all. If we could only have one platform, I would probably pick that too. Don't tell TikTok I said that. (laughs) Um, Well, now that we've had a little fun doing some this or that, getting to know you in a 
unique way rather than just asking, who are you? But I do have to follow up now with the very typical introduction question. And for anyone who is not familiar with you or does not know your work yet, I would love for you to just spend a couple of moments sharing who you are, uh, what you do, and most importantly, how did you get to the point of doing what you do now? Mm, So I'm Barb, she, her. I'm 26 and based in Nashville, Tennessee, as we mentioned before. And I have been a health at every size, weight neutral trainer for over five years now. I got certified back in 2015, thought I would work at the Vanderbilt Rec Center. (laughs) Um, They just ended up not taking my application or not replying. And thank God for that. I ended up then reaching out to um, someone that I knew that had a small boutique gym called Six, uh, Get Fit 615, which is Nashville's one and only uh, anti-diet gyms at this point. It's now owned by Jess Thompson, who's incredible. And um, I think that experience shaped me a lot. I worked there until December of 2020. Um, and then from there went on kind of on my own limb. But that experience itself was just so cool because even though the gym didn't start I would say is like completely anti-diet. Kate Moore, who started it, was really interested in just getting people together and, you know, enjoying movement in ways that felt good. And, you know, the philosophy, I think, shifted where it used to be like sweat every day. And then she's like, actually, you don't need to do that. (laughs) I think a lot of the stuff shifted and it was really cool to kind of grow up alongside the gym. I think, you know, in 2015, I was probably still on the tail end of my macro counting journey and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, dabbling in some orthorexia. So I think from there, I was able to really grow up with the gym. And I believe it was in 2016, like January, 2016. At that point, I had a little bit of therapy underneath my belt, um, where I had gone in and been like, I'm nervous. And like, food takes a lot of mental space for me. That doesn't feel right. (laughs) Kind of head scratching. Right. And, um, I just remember we didn't talk about food a whole lot. We just talked about like, I remember one question in particular, she had asked me one time, like, is there a day that you can go without setting any goals? And I was like, brain explosion. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you mean by that. And so the typical approach that I had every new year was setting a whole bunch of goals of how I'd be perfect and better. I'm an Enneagram one wing two, as I now know. So I just, I love the chase of improving, right? And uh, this particular year in 2016, I just said, you know what? I am not going to track my food for a month. I'll see how it goes. If I hate it, I'll just go back to it. It's no biggie. And so like no pressure about, you know, never doing it again, blah, blah, blah. And lo and behold, I just had such an interesting time experimenting with really like tapping into inner cues and like figuring out what I like and all of that stuff. So it was really somehow like an intro to intuitive eating without knowing it, which was Uh like, damn, past Barb, he really (laughs) used to know it. How did you do that? And I'm so grateful for that decision because it really, um, took me on this path of then in 2019, becoming a certified intuitive eating counselor, um, just really diving into this being my full-time work now. That's amazing. Well, thank you for, for sharing that story. And there are a couple of things that I picked up on as you were sharing that I want to reflect back just to make sure our listeners heard these two things, because I think 
these can be learning points for sure. So the first thing that you mentioned was in that period of time in your, le- in your life where you were struggling with orthorexic tendencies or the tracking mm-hmm. food, noticing it took up a lot of mental space for you. There was some part of you, at least it sounds like in how you were describing this, that knew mm-hmm. something didn't feel quite right, or maybe spending all of that time and energy fixated on food, like wasn't aligning with your values. You didn't necessarily frame it that way, but something wasn't clicking. Um, That's a big thing. I know a lot of my clients share that with me when they come to this work where they don't really know how to begin shifting away from that, but they know it doesn't feel right for them. Um, Second thing that you mentioned um, that is totally going to escape my mind. I had two thoughts that I wanted to share with you. Um, I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it. But (laughs) The thing that you, you said about intuitive eating, you kind of had an intro to intuitive eating without really knowing what you were doing. Did you have the vocabulary for that? Like, had you ever heard of intuitive eating or like, how did you come to find out about that? I have no idea. I feel like most of my life, I have always felt like other people have like this one pivotal moment where they're like, I got introduced to someone who told me about X, Y, and Z, or even with like movement practices, they're like, and that was the day I started running. And I'm like, I never really had that. I go through like undulation periods in my own movement. And I go through periods of like, oh, I was doing this. I was doing that with my food. And, um, yeah, that feels like a somewhat pivotal moment, but I don't remember when somebody actually mentioned the words like intuitive eating to me. I know that at some point I, you know, read the book. I think it was probably the, the pink, uh, book cover, pink and purple version. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, no, it's like green and yellow or something for, Mm -hmm. for the fourth one, but yeah, I was kind of just working through it and, uh, was really curious about it. And I think it's just been more about layers and less about like one single moment where somebody told me about it. Cause I can't quite remember even if my uh, therapist at the time who thank goodness was free through the university. So universities, holla, please keep doing that for your students. Um, I don't even know if we ended up talking about it. So it wasn't necessarily a moment where like the intuitive eating book just fell out of the sky and I hit did. you over the top of the head. You would, That would make for a good story now, wouldn't it? <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> yeah. It kind of sounds more like a, more like an accumulation of like, Oh, this makes sense. And I find this resource and it just yeah. piles up over time. I also remember the thing that escaped my mind a moment ago. So I'll add it back in here. But the thing that you said about giving yourself permission to experiment with stepping away from my fitness pal, I think that's so valid because so many people share with me that the idea of letting go of certain behaviors that offer a lot of comfort and control around food, especially if they've been doing that for a long time, that can feel really intimidating and really scary. So the fact that you gave yourself permission to do it, like, Hey, I'm just going to try this. I can't remember how long you said for a couple of weeks or maybe for a month. And if I hate it, or if it feels like too much, I can always go back to it, but I'm going to give this a shot. And it sounds like in doing that, it really opened up the door for you and being able to see what a life beyond food tracking or some of those tendencies was like. Yeah, totally. And it's, uh, it kind of came back to me. I was like, why did I start tracking in the first place? And I'm not going to put this all on my first ex we were all doing the best that we could. And also he was kind of the first one that, you know, on the plus side introduced me to movement as like a mental health tool, introduced me to strength training, like so grateful for that. 
but also on the flip side introduced me to tracking through lose it of all things. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just remember there were certain things that tipped me off about it. Like, you know, you could add movement and uh, like sex was included. And I was like, what a weird way to quantify or to interpret something that has like, I don't know, to me in my brain has like nothing to do with calorie burning, but we're yeah. still somehow like adding it on there. It's just like an option. And it was just so weird to me. And I remember doing that for the better part of our relationship. So probably like two years or something. And I remember as I started having that shift by myself of like, well, I'm stepping away from this. Um, I remember in particular, there was a moment where I got some cookie butter from Trader Joe's. I was like, I heard so many good things about this. I want to try it. And I remember again, like practicing this, like, you know, listening to my body and listening to how much I want to actually eat, like not measuring it out, not saying I can only have this much or in this way. Um, so I was just like eating it with a spoon. Cause I was like, this is good. And then mm -hmm. I stopped, you know, when I was done and my ex at the time was just like, it's just not healthy, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait a damn minute. Like I am not doing anything that's like super sinful. Like there was that moral equivalent or like, you know, this, um, moral judgment of like, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. And that's really where I started to kind of, you know, again, see myself doing the things and be like, oh yeah, maybe we need to do less of that. Or maybe we need to untangle this moral value and moral judgment that we have around food. Cause it's a literally just like a yummy tasting, like cookie spread. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's not yeah. yeah. It's like, level. it's like in that moment you were uh, getting a taste pun intended of what it was like to step away from the, the rules and the measuring and really tap into what it felt like to let your body lead. Like how much of this feels good for me? What does this even taste like? Am I enjoying this? Like all of those questions that when we're so wrapped up in uh, putting it into an app or quantifying it number wise, we don't really have as much mental space to dedicate to how does this feel for me? Right. I always tell my clients, it's like when we're in the apps or when we're tracking, we're so up here, like pointing to our heads when it comes to food, rather than in here, pointing to yeah. our bodies. For sure. Yeah. I, I think about the ways and this counts for movement too, is like, as soon as we start observing the, the way that we're eating or the way that we're moving or even like just anything, our, I think our behavior changes, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. just by this, the pure fact that you're observing it or tracking it, or, you know, if I sit down with like a box of, I don't know, something chips or something, a bag of chips, not a box of chips, <laughs> a of chips. And I eat it intuitively. I'm not counting every chip I put in my mouth as it comes in. I might have a general idea, but like generally also I don't. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, you know, the, the shift was so stark of just like, oh, I'm not going to like measure it out beforehand and then eat it, you know, and then be like, oh, well, I either ate all 17 chips or I didn't. And now I have to adjust the math. Like it's just too much math. Too much math. <laughs> yeah. Just, entirely doesn't make sense. So, um, yeah, I just found that interesting. I think it's some principle of, uh, what was it? It's like Schrodinger's principle or something. Clearly I didn't do super well in physics, but as soon as you like observe a particle, then it's like, then you have changed what the particle is doing. So anyway, that's what I think about when you start tracking stuff, your behavior may change a bit. Um, Absolutely. 
And who, who knew in this conversation, we were going to go from cookie butter to a principle of physics in the matter yeah. of like too many, you never know where you're going to get here on the Yours Julie podcast. But I'm wondering, you know, something that you said a couple of moments ago, this whole idea of the theme and, and you talked about food and movement. You said the theme of connecting to our bodies, the thing that you talk about a ton in your social media content, uh, I adventure to guess what you do a lot of your days is you talk with people about movement in their relationships with movement. And you call yourself, please correct me if I am wrong, uh, but I believe I'm remembering correctly from your Instagram bio, a non-diet trainer. So something I know just from working with a lot of individuals who have been in diet culture for years, movement can be something that is so tied to dieting efforts or so tied to this pursuit of actively trying to lose weight, manipulate our bodies, take up less space, whatever it might be. So I'm really kind of curious to hear your take on what is movement from a non-diet perspective, or if someone is tuning into this episode and they've never even considered what a relationship with movement apart from dieting looks like, what might that be? And I know there's a lot of ways you could probably answer that, but kind of give us a picture of what moving in a non-diet way means. So as you're mentioning that, absolutely. I feel like movement and diet are really connected because we're, we're fooled to think that our health is completely controlled by diet and exercise. We're told Mm -hmm. it all the time, calories in, calories out. And, you know, if you create the correct equation, then equals health or unhealth. And that's just not true. Um, Health is so much larger than that. And I think about the ways um, we have kind of I guess the word is co-opted or just like conglomerated, kind of like Instagram, just like grabs onto different health behaviors and says, oh, it's good to have this health behavior. Like for example, drinking water because it'll help you lose weight. It's good to sleep seven to nine hours because it helps you lose weight. It's good to de-stress or meditate because, you know, and it goes on and on with every single freaking behavior. And it's like, okay, well, if we're interpreting every single health behavior that may or may not actually help you lose weight, it may just help you maintain your weight, or it may make you gain weight, all of which are equally like moral and okay. Um, then if we still have that weight centric lens of like, what will help me lose weight, then it makes sense that something like movement, which we do typically as children, like we don't kind of think about it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if I see a kid just like running around, they're not like, yeah, I'm burning calories right now. Or yeah, that'll really make me fit into my toddler. Like instead of a three-year-old one, I'll fit into a two-year-old one. And that concept doesn't really start to hit us until a little bit later. And unfortunately for a lot of us, I think we think like, oh, that hits you in your teens or, you know, young adult years. Hell no, I have clients and I'm sure you have clients too that have been aware that their body is to be uh, manipulated to be smaller since they were like six years old or they were put on Weight Watchers or some sort of something to, you know, quote unquote, help their, help their health. But really it was just to like make them lose weight, which is messed up because kids' bodies are changing rapidly all the time. Um, So I just like to kind of reference that. But in terms of, finding movement that's non-diet, one of the best places you can start, and I do get this from my friend, Jamie Carball, who is at Fit Ragamuffin, um, let yourself take the lead from children or from pets or animals 
all of those are really great scaffolds for like figuring out, oh, how does like by observing a kid, like how does that inform what kind of movement might feel good for me? So if you see a kid running around, they might have like a really big sprint up a hill and then they take some time to rest. They're not like, oh, gotta keep going, rest 10 seconds, let's go, burpees next. Um, <laughs> it's also very unstructured. They don't come in and say, ooh, I'm hot and sweaty. That was a great workout. They're just like, I'm hot and sweaty. I need some orange juice or something. Like they know how to typically, you know, take care or start to respond to the needs of their body. If they're thirsty, they drink. If they're hungry, they eat. If they need to rest, they nap, hopefully, <laughs> uh, you know, all that stuff. If they've got energy, they run it around um, and not energy that we need to expend because we want to be smaller, but energy that we want to expend because we got energy. Thank goodness. And so taking a lead from, from kids um, and the more that you can kind of tune into your own internal sensation of like, you know, how does this, how does my body feel before I move my body in whatever way I've chosen today? How does my body feel during it? And then how does my body feel afterwards? And just kind of taking some time to notice what that might be like, because I feel like non-diet movement is typically, um, I would guess if somebody was like, what's non-diet movement, everyone would be like, oh, it's like gentle, like yoga or dancing or, you know, like really low key. And I'm like, no, I can totally do non-diet movement. Like I trained for an ultra marathon in 2018, 100% mm -hmm. did it very intuitively, um, had some structure because you, you do have to have a little bit of structure to that kind of, uh, effort, but on the day to day, it's a lot of what does my body need today? What does it feel like doing? Um, and definitely not maybe putting the, the weight loss stuff at least on the back burner instead of on the front burner or if possible from the back burner, just like completely off the stove. Um, so having some way to divest from this idea that, oh, this movement was successful because it's helping me towards what I had defined as success or what really society has defined as success is, you know, losing weight in some way. And so if we can stop that, you know, continuous pattern of, oh, let me check though, if that worked, you know, have I lost weight after a week or two or four? Um, if we stop it there, then we're, we can actually take a moment and see like, has this worked for my body? Has this worked for my heart and my brain? And like, how do my joints feel? Like, what is this like? Um, I think that's far more helpful than, you know, putting it towards some external thing of like, oh, some other person told me that I need to be working out 30 minutes a day, you know, five times a week. It's like, maybe that's not going to be right for you right from the get-go. Like mm -hmm. that's maybe, maybe the consistency there. That's another part I always talk to clients about is we have this definition of consistency being like multiple times a week, if not every day. And it's like, no, consistency can be like once a week for, you know, five years or once a month for like a long time. <laughs> you can totally do that. Um, that is still consistent. It's still a regular interval um, or like a regular amount per regular interval, period. Yeah. It's kind of just the thing that I pick up on throughout everything that you, sh uh, that you shared there was shifting from weight loss or body manipulation as the central focus to how does this feel for me? Yeah. Am I enjoying this to a certain extent? Why am I choosing to do this? Does this movement feel safe? 
and comfortable for me, right? It really, it really parallels our conversation earlier about food tracking, right? When we're doing that, we're not focusing on how does this feel and what is my body's feedback? We're focusing on what does the device say? What am I allowed to have? What do I have to do next? But with non-diet movement, we're going from that mindset, right? It's not, what does the program say? Or I have to push myself or what is it? No pain, no gain. It's stepping away from that mentality and really coming back into your body's feedback around certain forms of movement. So I so appreciate everything that you shared there. And I think this leads us into the next thing that I am so excited to ask you. I've been waiting for this moment, but Another thing that you talk about in your content is this idea of the Enneagram. Uh, Maybe too, you can tell us what that is in case someone is not familiar, but you talk about how I think it can be important for you as a coach and someone who is working with individuals on the topic of movement to know your client's Enneagram results. I don't know the exact word or the phrase in order to help you better figure out how to work with them and how to create a program. If that's even the right word, that's going to be in alignment with their needs and how they work best as a human. So I guess there are a couple of questions here. First, for anyone who is not familiar, can you tell us what the heck the Enneagram is? You referenced it earlier, if anyone picked up on that, but we'll start with that and then we'll go from there. So I'll try my best. I looked it up here and it's a basic personality test with nine different categories. They're all numbers. It's one through nine and each number represents kind of a different personality type. They're all in a circle and there's also little lines connecting pretty much all of them in some way. So the idea is that we all have some aspect of all nine personality types in us. It's not like we're just like, you're only this type and you're never another type. Um, but we do have, I kind of imagine it like a river, you know, that a Creek running through the same path over and over until it becomes maybe a larger Creek into a river, into like the grand Canyon over time. We just have these tendencies of like, for example, I'm definitely like you asked in the, this or that I'm going to be tend to like play it safe and be like a little more reserved instead of being real boisterous and like go for adventures. doesn't mean that I won't ever do that. But I'm probably going to choose that more of the time just because of like what my childhood experiences were or like what's worked for me in the past. And ultimately, we want to know our type kind of to show us the box that we're in so that we can eventually grow outside of the box. So as an Enneagram one uh, with a two wing, I am the reformer with like a little bit of the helper. And so I can tend to get stuck in perfectionism, which is really like makes sense that orthorexia was a big mm-hmm. part of my life of like this tracking improvement, um, you know, what's right or wrong kind of stuff is really deep inside me. Um, so the way that I can kind of come out of that is encouraging myself towards the seven, which is the, I'm going to say the enthusiast, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but they tend to be a lot more like creative and open and, you know, search for joy. And I'm like, oh my God, this is my life. <laughs> I have like, <laughs> I have arrived um, somewhat, but um, it, it's such a helpful system to just get a real quick read um, on people. And this is an important caveat that I always have to remind myself of only other people, like only you can really know what your type is. I also mistyped myself for a long time. Um, but it's not there to like cast judgment and be like, Oh, you're acting like such an eight or like blah, blah, blah. 
we can't ever know what people's why is. And that's really where the Enneagram comes into play is it really works off of what's your like core motivation or your core fear or core desire. So I've heard of um, one of my therapist friends describing it as like, yeah, you can take the test, but you have to read through the descriptions. And the one that kind of like hurts a little bit, <laughs> that's probably your type where you're like, oh, <laughs> why did you see me? <laughs> why did you see into my soul like that? Um, so that's kind of a basic rundown of what I view the Enneagram uh, as. It's definitely can get more complex than that, but I like asking clients about it because it does give me an idea of where maybe I can support them more. Um, for example, if I'm working with a to the helper, um, I probably want to uh, focus on making sure that they're taking care of themselves or at least figuring out how to tie in their desire to always like want to help out and, uh, you know, be there for others as a way to also be there for themselves. So I have a two client that just recently got some chickens therapeutically, of course. <laughs> and she described to me that as she's taking care of these chickens and she's like, you know, cutting up vegetables. They're like very well taken care of. They're luxurious little chickens. And, um, you know, she's cutting up vegetables and fruits and whatever it's hot outside. So she's like considering all of their needs. And then she's like, oh, as I'm doing that, I'm also like taking care of myself and, you know, the prep of vegetable stuff that I wouldn't normally want to do for myself. I'd feel like it's just too much. Um, I do it for them. So I also do it for myself on the side. And it's kind of a nice way to um, remind her to do the same thing or just making sure that during our session, like we do have that time to just be able to put work on pause. She's a realtor. So like being able to put all of that helping aside and be like, Hey, for these 45 minutes, like we're just going to take care of you and figure out how you're feeling in this moment. That's fantastic. So I just kind of like applying that to different types Obviously, it's still going to be a lot of the same principles mm -hmm. for most folks, but it's just nice to know what people's types are. Totally. And um, one thing that you touched on that I think is really important with any type of personality test, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, I don't want to take that because I don't want it to put me into a box, right? Very understandable. So I really appreciate what you said, that it's really a tool to help us gain maybe more awareness around certain motivations, certain intentions we have. I also think too, coming from a provider's perspective, now you have me thinking as a provider, do I want to start asking my clients or having them take this? Because I think when you are just getting to know someone, maybe in like in one session, I always tell my clients that there is no possible way within our first session or even in 50 sessions that I'm going to know more about your life or your story than you do. So I think from a provider's point of view, it can be a great way to learn maybe more about someone than you would have been able to in a matter of 30 to 45 to minutes to an hour, right? To just know, okay, generally you identify with this personality type. These are the general aspects of what that means. It just helps to inform not only us as providers, but even people as friends and family members, maybe how to best communicate with these people. I told you before we hit record that I did take it upon myself to take the test. I had taken it once before, but I wanted to see if anything had changed. And I also couldn't remember my wing number. Um, so I took it approximately 30, 45 minutes ago. I am a three wing two. So as a, as a three, I'm very much an achiever. I like to get things done. So I don't know if this can maybe be an example in the context of the work you do with clients, but I'm wondering 
if you have a three type client, if maybe something you would work on with them is, are we resting? <laughs> are you taking a step back? Cause I know at least for me personally, I can't speak for all threes, but it can be really challenging to be like, mm-hmm. I need to sit down and do less. And especially with, with movement and even with food, that's where it can kind of become a little bit of a slippery slope if we're being so rigid and we don't have flexibility in our movement practices. So that's a personal example. Yeah. I was going to say for, I definitely have my little post on like all of the three things, but in mm-hmm. general, I like to work with, you know, sometimes we see our stuff of like, Oh, I'm the achiever. Like that sucks. You know, like I'm too competitive. I'm too this, I'm too that. It's like, no, that's great. Like we love that. Um, same with like my type It's like, Oh, the perfectionist. Oh, that sucks. And it's like, no, I'm just like, I'm diligent. I just want things to be done, you know, correctly the first time if possible, but like, you know, being able to understand what our strengths are and understand also where there's going to be the flip side of that same coin of like, oh, I'm the achiever. I really like to get things done. I'm very determined. I like maybe some amount of structure or like, I like to know where I'm going and dream big. But also on the flip side of that is like, can you also recognize the small steps and the stuff that maybe isn't as like flashy or showy, like rest (laughs) that isn't, you know, going to be posted on social media that much. I do think that is shifting though, thank goodness. But, you know, that kind of hustle culture is kind of starting to wane away a little bit, at least in my circle, which is lovely. So I would work on both. Like I would still be like, hey, you know, you seem to probably enjoy some sort of goal setting. Like, let me know what that is. And also on the flip side, we'll encourage the other part that may be more tough for you that you may not naturally lean towards, which may be rest, which may be, you know, instead of seeing what everyone else is doing and seeing how you can adjust to that being like, but what do I want? Like what, (laughs) what is actually going to serve me in this moment? Um, I was talking to a client who's a three on like group hikes. It can be really tough to, to honor your own needs. Cause you're like, but the group is there and like, I'm back here. And you know, what do I actually need in this moment? versus how can I just like catch up with the group or, you know, be leading the group or something like that. That's going to be a very uh, challenging place to be in as a three, I think sometimes. So yeah, that's what I would like kind of work on if someone's like, oh, I'm, I'm probably like mostly a three or something like that. Yeah. I love what you were just talking about when it comes to any Enneagram type to first acknowledge like the strength in having that type of personality, right? I totally get what you mean. Whenever we read something that we feel like describes us, I think we're so inclined to like veer towards the negative of like, this means this about me and this means that, but to be able to acknowledge, Hey, this allows me to do a lot of things that have gotten me to where I am in life. And a lot of these things are beautiful. And at the same time, knowing this about myself, what might I need to be mindful of when it comes to looking out for things that might lead me down that slippery slope. So while we're on the topic of um, Enneagrams here, because I I know we don't really have time to unpack all nine of them and what that might mean in examples, that would be cool, but I don't have you all day. Um, Do you have a post? I think you might've referenced a post or something that like breaks down what we're talking about in written format, if someone is interested. And if so, where can they find that? 
Yeah, so they can definitely find that on my Instagram page. I may add it to my highlights again because it is super fun. Uh-huh. Um, so I haven't done those for astrology mostly just because I can't really, I don't, I'm not as well versed in it. Yeah. <laughs> you can probably do it for any of those, but I do take the Enneagram a little bit more in depth. So I have that on my Instagram. <laughs> okay. And we'll, uh, at the end of our recording here and in the show notes, we'll have your Instagram so people can find it. But final thing that I want to ask you before we wrap here, this is a little bit different from our Enneagram type of conversation, but whenever I have another non-diet professional who I have the pleasure of connecting with, I like to like do a myth buster or two. So can you think of maybe something that you have heard in the movement space that when you hear it, it grinds your gears, it rubs you the wrong way, you're smiling. I can tell about a thousand things are coming to your mind, but could you maybe offer one or two of those really common myths and just like a quick, hey, this is why that's not true, or this is how we can fight against that myth. Like what comes to mind there? Mm. I am going to say that, um, modifications are, do, do not mean that you are weak or lazy or that you're sandbagging it or that you're not capable modifications or AKA if you, for example, have a class or something where it says to do push-ups and it's shown with hands on the floor with the legs extended, you have so many more options than that. And taking them is smart. It's resourceful. It's intelligent. Like it is the coolest thing you can do. Um, it always warmed my heart when people kind of went their own path. Any, any sort of instructor that doesn't lead with their ego will appreciate um, and will be able to learn from you possibly sometimes too, to understand, oh, cool. This person is taking this variation for their body. And that's fantastic. And let's just kind of see if it's the same kind of style of movement pattern that we're looking for. So raising my hands up onto a box into an incline push-up is still going to do the same thing or mm-hmm. doing a floor chest press while I'm lying back on the ground and pressing dumbbells up towards the sky is still going to be the same movement pattern. So we're still getting the same intention. So like either one is going to be fine. And so I just want to encourage people to take those. And if there is an instructor that either doesn't offer enough of them for you, that doesn't mean that your body is wrong or that you're doing it incorrectly or that you're like a problem child. Um, It just means you're being smart. I love that. Reframe on the modifications. Any other quick one that comes to mind or is that the main one? I would also say soreness is um, not an indicator of how hard you worked out or that it was quote unquote worth it or counted or anything like that. Soreness in our muscles just means that we may have done something that's different than our muscles are used to. For for example, I could totally be, you know, um, strength training for 10 years, doing all the leg stuff. And then I go to a spin class for an hour and I might be more sore because that's not typically what I may be used to. I've now switched things up for my body. And so if you notice that you're always sore, especially after a lot of like different, um, kind of like, I'm going to call them like hit or circuit classes because they're so varied. Your body can never quite adapt to it, Mm -hmm. which actually isn't a great thing. We do want our body to adapt two things so that it can feel comfortable and keep growing. Um, again, it's that sense of safety. We want to like just push outside of our comfort zone or stay in our comfort zone. Um, that's where our body likes to grow the most. 
Soreness is not gonna necessarily be like, oh yeah, this is great to have all of the time. Typically we might feel that if we're going into a new thing, you may expect to feel that for the first one to two weeks or so, depends per body, of course, disclaimer. Um, but after that, you can possibly expect the soreness to subside over time. Mm, I love that one. I feel safe here. I like it here when you talk about movement. This is this is very <laughs> welcoming here on the Yours Julie podcast. I feel like, again, talking about tuning into your body's cues, like whenever I hear anyone like you talking about movement in a way that is so thoughtful and mm-hmm. so compassionate and not the um, no pain, no gain, do it even if it hurts, like it just feels like so much more of a safe space. So thank yeah. you for being in this space with me and for, for sharing all that you have here on a recording for anyone who would like to learn more about you, learn about your offerings, any programs you have going on, where can they find you? So easiest way would probably be on my Instagram at nondi underscore trainer. And then you can also hop onto my website, thenondietrainer.com. If you have any questions about it, you can contact me through the contact form up on there or even book a free discovery call. That's 15 minutes of a Zoom call. So we can chat more. If you've like read through all of the things on my website, you still have some questions or you want to connect. Um, I have one-on-one training services as well as the joyful movement program. And the next round is coming up in October. It's sold out basically every time. So it's been a really, really fun thing to see grow um, as I've led it, I think five times now. So this will be our sixth round in October. Wow. And I can imagine with each iteration, things change and the program improves. And I can imagine the the people who you have there are awesome too. So like I told you before we hit record, this episode will be out sometime mid to late September. So for anyone who is listening in live time, be sure to check that out and see if it's not sold out. And if not, maybe, maybe our listeners here, listeners here can get involved. My words got ahead of me there. Um, But Barb, thank you so much for being here, for sharing all that you did. Uh, That is all we have for today, our listeners of the Yours Julie podcast. So we are going to go ahead and sign off as we always do by saying Yours Julie, Claire, and Barb. And there you have it, my friend. That is a wrap on episode 148 here on the Yours Truly podcast. Thank you so much for spending some time with Barb and I here. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and maybe you're hopping over to take the Enneagram test soon after listening to this. If you enjoyed anything that Barb and I shared in this conversation, or if you like anything that I share in general here on the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could take a couple of moments. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and tap those five stars, leave a kind review as well. That really does help the podcast grow and reach more people more than you know. If you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, say you're on Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you might be, you can also share this episode by taking a screenshot of it and uploading it to your social media platform of choice, maybe a story, a post, whatever feels fitting. And you can also share this episode with anyone who you think could benefit from it in your life. You can text it to them, you can send it in an email, you can write them a letter and send it by carrier pigeon. I don't know. I don't care. As as long as you're willing to share, I will be so grateful for your support as always. But that is all that I have for today's episode. I hope to see you back here next Wednesday for another new episode of the Yours Truly podcast. But until then, take care and we'll talk soon.